welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat, and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 93, and today's episode, I Can Do Difficult Things, is all about conquering what our children fear is too difficult to contemplate. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if our children or our teens could conquer their fear of failing? So often they stop doing something or they don't even try because they worry about not being good enough or being judged or not being accepted or looking silly. So this episode is for all parents, educators who want to help children or teens feel the fear and do it anyway. Now I'm trying something new with this episode. So I would really, really love your feedback contact at drmaryhan.com because if you like the format we can do more episodes like this we're obviously not going to do all episodes like this but we can do more and more so you're going to get my usual top tips and strategies within this podcast episode and on top of that if you want to you can then go off and purchase some additional support from my website because you can go off and purchase within my 60 minutes with Dr Mary Han the parent workshop and workbook which is 60 minutes or and the children's workshop and workbook which is 60 minutes as well so we're going to trial this out and I would really genuinely love to have your your feedback now When we talk about I can do difficult things, what I mean by difficult thing is it's anything that your child currently or your teen currently feels is beyond their ability right now. Now, remember, what's really crucial here is beyond what your child believes is their ability. So remember my seesaw analogy, which I'm going to restate for because I love this saying you're probably going to get sick of me saying it but repetition is the mother of all learning so if you've heard my podcasts again and again and again this is lovely repetition for you if you're new to my podcast episodes then you might not know what the seesaw analogy is so let me just tell you so the idea is when our children are in a situation where they feel supremely confident and comfortable imagine the seesaw you know like those ones you used to sit on as a child and bounce up and down and if you had a cousin who had a different weight to you and a different height and size you'd be sort of stuck at the top desperately trying to kind of bounce and make it go down but that's basically that seesaw oscillates and goes up and down or stays in equilibrium depending on a situation that our children find themselves in So when our children are in a situation or they're doing something that they feel very comfortable and confident in, their seesaw's in this beautiful equilibrium, it's beautifully balanced. What they perceive the demands being placed on them by the thing that they're doing, which they love, is equally matched and met by what they perceive are the resources they have to manage it. Lovely balanced seesaw. When our children consider doing something that is difficult, overwhelming, stressful, anxiety inducing their seesaw tips and what happens is they perceive the demands being placed on them by that given situation far outweigh what their perceived resources are now we have to remember i know i keep saying it but it's so important that we remember it isn't what we think our children are capable of it's what our child feels that they're capable of so when they talk about something that's difficult It's how they feel around that situation where that seesaw tips. So you might have a situation where you genuinely can't see why your child finds it so difficult, but for your child, it feels overwhelming. So we have to kind of return back to that when we talk about helping them to do difficult things. 
it's about a situation that they perceive, that they see, it's giving them a glimpse into their world. So what we really want to be able to do is help our children at least try. That's the kind of the crucial bit here. It's helping them see that they have actually got the ability within them to try some of these difficult things. So I'm going to talk you through six strategies, six top tips really, when it comes to this. And the podcast, this podcast episode is very much couched and framed within a perspective of giving you some practical things that you can go off and do to help support your child. And then if you need extra help, we happen to have these other workshops that you can also then drill down even more if you want even more support. So the first thing that we really need to do is we need to help our children admit that there's an issue in the first place. Quite often, when we're trying to encourage our children to do difficult things, it can be that we are trying to get them to do something that they find difficult, that they're not necessarily bought into. My view is if we're going to help our children feel comfortable to do things that they find overwhelming, we really need to start off, we need to be able to tackle this by really focusing in on an area that our child currently values. Now, for example, let's say we would really love our child to feel more confident about putting their hand up in class. Maybe we want our children to feel more confident about being away from us a little bit more. Now, those might be things that we value, that our child currently finds supremely difficult, but maybe our child doesn't value it. If we're trying to help them with these things that we find of value, but our children don't, we're much less likely to get a buy-in. So it's really important that if we can teach them to overcome difficulties and things that they value, we stand a much better chance in them being able to help them do things that we value. So we really need to help our children find an area that they currently would really love to do, that they want to do, not us, and help them then see that there's an issue there that we can then build on. So it might be that your child really wants to be able to go to sleepovers, uh, but they currently can't. Maybe your child is struggling around making friends, or maybe there's one particular person that they're really desperate to be friends in, but they can't quite sort of muster up that bravery to go and speak to them. Maybe your child actually wants to be able to audition for a school play or go to an after-school club or be part of a particular group or that there is something that they worry about that they really wish that they didn't worry about. The crucial bit is that we need to really focus in on that one thing that our child currently values that they really want to be different and then helping them see that there's an issue there that that we can begin to start working on. So that's like your first step. We need to start there. Once we've got that, so we've got a really deep-rooted, very clear scenario, challenge, situation that our child is desperate to be different, we want to make sure that we can really unpick what success looks like to our children. Because sometimes we can end up putting in a lot of these other things in place But if we haven't got really clear and really understood why our child has picked that particular difficult thing, we can end up sort of really going down the wrong track and thinking that it's to do, let's, for example, let's say it's a sleepover. Maybe it's actually, we go down this tack of the sleepover from the perspective of thinking, actually, it's because my child doesn't like being away from home, but it might be much bigger than that. It might be that they struggle around friendships and what that might look like and staying up late 
you know so it's really important that we identify something that our children are really vested in help our children see that there's an issue that we can do something about and to really get clear and unpick what is it about that particular situation that they're finding difficult and what specifically does success look like and ask them paraphrase things to say so what I think I'm hearing is that you're saying that this is the, this is what's particularly difficult and that you'll be really pleased you'll feel that you've cracked it and confident and be able to do it and want to do it if you're able to do x y and z is that right so seek clarification over and over again that first step that first kind of strategy if you get that really right everything else quite genuinely will slot into place really easily but you've got to get that first bit right you just think about any problem that you're trying to overcome as an adult when you're supremely crystal clear what the issue is when you're supremely sort of sold on resolving that matter and 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 you know acting upon it if you're then really clear what success looks like then everything else becomes so much easier because you know exactly what you need to look for, you know exactly how you need to tackle it. So it's really important that we do that first step. Don't rush it, take your time. You may well have to go backwards and forwards over this multiple times, but it will be a worthwhile investment in terms of your time. So that's the first bit. So the next bit that we need to do, now we're really crystal clear, this should be easier. We want to help our children identify the internal chatter, that internal dialogue, that conversation that happens in their head, which is currently stopping them from trying, from even contemplating it. So we want to help them identify what that chatter is and we want to help them give a name to it. So I'm going to talk through a little bit around this because I think this is quite a crucial piece. So we all have an internal dialogue. So let's say it's about going on a sleepover that your child is really vested in doing. Their internal chatter may be around what if. Yeah, so it's about helping them identify, oh, I'm going to miss my parents. What if I can't fall asleep? What's going to happen? I'm going to be far away. Will my parents come to collect me? Um, What if I don't get on? What if I don't sleep all night? What if I'm up all night and then I'm exhausted? And what if I don't get on with my friends? What what, It may well be around food. Are they going to know the kind of food that I like? Are they going to make me eat something I don't want to? So it's really helping them identify the internal chatter which is stopping them from trying in the first place and helping them identify that that voice in their head whilst it has obviously it has their voice it sounds like them is not them itself it's just their thoughts and I tried there are a couple of ways that you can look at this I really I feel it's really important that children give a name to it. Now, there's lots of literature around whether you call it the inner bully, whether it's the internal chatter, whether it's the inner critic, whether you kind of name it something completely separately. I've always been kind of, you know, I've always been quite honest about the fact that I personally don't like using a narrative of of an inner bully because I think that the word bully has lots of connotations and I don't necessarily believe it's it's well used. So I much prefer something like an inner critic or an inner ogre or give it a name, help your child see that it's something that is detached from them, but has their voice. And that because we know that just because we have a thought, that internal chatter, our thoughts aren't necessarily truths. So depending on the age of your child and how easily they connect to it, you can either use that or you can use ants. 
And ANTS stands for Automatic Negative Thoughts. And for some children, this works really well because they can see that that chatter that comes in is almost automatic. It's not something that they've placed in their own heads, but it just comes up automatically and that those thoughts will go along that route of being very, of always assuming the worst. And you can also use the analogy to real life ants in that quite often when you see one ant, there's another and another and another. And that's exactly the same when we have these automatic negative thoughts, this internal chatter that we'll think of one thing and then another thing comes along and another and another and another. And then we just feel overwhelmed with all of this this chatter that's going on. And an easy way with that is then thinking one of the ways to mitigate, to offset, to get rid of all of these automatic negative thoughts is then to squash them with the truth. And the truth is, how true is that? So we're really helping them begin to question that. We'll we'll look at that a little bit more detail. You know, at this stage, the step is simply about helping them to identify that they have an internal chatter. What is that internal chatter? What, What is that dialogue that's going on? What are those automatic negative thoughts? What is that critic or that ogre saying around that particular situation? Or you can kind of consider it in terms of that inner monkey, which a lot, you know, monkey brain and this monkey mind. And it's this idea that that internal chatter is there to try and preserve and protect. And it's really helping children understand that sometimes that chatter takes its job a little bit too seriously and thinks that there's a danger when there really isn't. So it's helping them identify that internal chatter, being able to see it as something different from them, being able to name it in a way that makes sense for your child. And generally, I find if you can get that internal chatter written down if you can you know help them kind of connect with what what are some of the conversations that are going on in your head what are some of the things that go round and round that stop you from this particular difficult thing that you really want to master but you're currently unable to master because when we can get that written down in the cold light of day it's so much easier to then work with because we then know that those thoughts are affecting our children's feelings and are impacting the choices of behavior that they have. That's a really, really crucial next step. And you can see why that first piece is so important in terms of really being able to drill down about what it is that our children want to be able to do that they currently can't. And also that it's something that they that they value and they connect with because then they're the whole step about the internal chatter is much easier. So the first one is about identifying the issue and helping them admit that there's an issue there, but it's something that they value. The second step is about identifying that internal chatter. The third is then helping them identify how this chatter, this conversation, this dialogue affects their body. So it's really helping them begin to understand when I have that dialogue, when I have that chatter, Where is it showing up in my body? And you might find that for some children, they can't identify the chatter first. They identify the feelings first and how it shows up in their body. And again, that is absolutely fine. If you do find you have a child who finds it really difficult to connect to the chatter, then absolutely, by all means, make some possible suggestions. But we really want to help them connect to that chatter If you find you've got a child who's really struggling to identify with the chatter, then persist with the feelings in the body instead. 
you know the last thing we want is a child feeling overwhelmed and feeling that they're being drilled by us around their thoughts if they can't connect with that despite your suggestions then let's focus in on their body because that'll be something that they're 100% aware of that they're really connected to that will be a much easier place for us to start so we really want to help them identify how this chatter affects their body and where do they feel that overwhelm, that fear, that anxiety, that worry, that stress within their body. And then so that we can then begin to help them with some specific strategies. So one of the ways that I find that's really helpful for this is either, I mean, I'm a big fan, if you can get sort of a huge piece of paper, like lining paper, or a huge roll of paper and you can kind of draw around your child. So get them to lie down on the paper and then you draw around or alternatively just sort of draw a gingerbread type person. What's really helpful for children is to then help them put crosses or post-it notes or stickers on the areas that they feel things, you know, that those that overwhelm where it shows up in their body. And, you know, it's usually helpful if we can explain to our children when we're doing difficult things, what where it shows up in our body. So some of the common areas that your children will say that they feel it, one of the most common will be in their stomach. So they'll often feel either sick or they might have a few butterflies in their tummy. Even if your child isn't anxious, we're not talking about anxiety here. We're just talking about situations where our children feel that they can't take that step to do something that they find difficult. But they will still get some butterflies, maybe a little bit of nausea. So the stomach is quite often. The other one, obviously, is that they'll have an increased heart rate. So they will feel their heart beating faster. That can be quite common. Some children will feel it quite amplified. So it feels like it's beating physically out of their chest. Some will just say that they notice that they feel maybe out of breath. Some uh, children will quite often get their palms of their hands might be sweaty, or they might complain about sweating on their brow or under their armpits. They may have what I call jelly legs. They might talk about getting suddenly, you know, we've got, it doesn't happen to me, but I certainly remember it at school. You know, people just go suddenly absolutely red. So it's going to affect hot and cold flushes, shaky hands, all of these things. It doesn't matter. It'll, we, what we're trying to actually work out here is what is the combination for your child? It's helpful if we tell them when we feel nervous where it tends to show up in our body, but we really want our children to be able to identify where does it show up in their body. And then we want to help them with some form of breathing technique. And it's a really fundamentally what's happening when we're feeling overwhelmed about a difficult thing is that our body's gone into fight or flight. It's it's trying to preserve us, it's trying to keep us safe. Because it feels, it's interpreted, whatever that that difficult thing is, as a danger and it's trying to protect us. So it's helping children understand that that's what our body is doing, much like the smoke alarm that goes off when we've burnt the toast. So it's helping them see that that's a bit of a false alarm. It's trying to protect us. We're going to stand it down. And the way that we stand down, the way that we switch off that faulty smoke alarm that's gone off, is that we do some form of breathing technique. And it's a case of really helping our children try out different techniques. I personally have found when I've been working with children and teens that encouraging them to take a deep breath in and then a longer exhale out isn't enough on its own because it doesn't 
give enough instruction. Now, if your child is able to take a deep breath in and a long exhale out and it works, keep doing it. I find that generally you're much better off giving them something that they need to do within that breathing that helps them. So one really simple technique that can be used absolutely anywhere because it doesn't require anything is the finger tracing, the hand finger tracing. So they simply use their pointy finger on their dominant hand. So I'm right-handed. They then would have their left hand if they're right-handed like me. And then what you basically do with the pointy finger is you begin to trace up from your wrist, up your thumb, and as you go up, you breathe in. As you trace around the thumb and trace your finger down, you breathe out. As you then trace up your next, your pointy finger, you breathe in. And then as you go down, you breathe out. Obviously, if your child is left-handed, it's the other way around. So their pointy finger is on their left hand. The, fin- the hand that they trace around is going to be their right hand. And again, they go up from their wrist. And the idea is that that's a really concrete way of helping our children take that breath in and that breath out in a slow and deliberate way and the fact that there's contact with hands is also really helpful that kind of tactile nature of it I think is also quite calming and quite therapeutic and it means that our children can do it anywhere they can do it under their desk if they're feeling anxious in a school situation they can do it in their bedroom if it's something to do with being anxious in their bedroom whatever the scenario is it's something that can be done in a really in any sort of situation so the third one is helping our children identify how the chatter affects their body where they feel the overwhelm and then helping them try out different breathing techniques and i think it's approaching it on that basis of let's experiment let's try some different techniques and let's see what works because you know we're we're building that toolkit and that toolkit requires different tools for different situations so number one is identifying what the issue is number two is identifying the internal chatter which is stopping our children from trying the third one is about helping our children identify where this chatter affects their body the fourth one is all about helping our children helping children to build their ladder to help them work up to their big difficult thing so I've talked about this before it's this idea that a ladder is a really wonderful analogy to help our children go from somewhere that they're currently struggling with to somewhere that they've conquered because a ladder is something that takes us from where we are to where we want to be we start off on the bottom rung and we generally have to take each rung up until we get to where we want we lean it up against something and we go from the bottom to the top And that's exactly what we want to help our children do when it comes to doing difficult things. So the big difficult thing that they fear goes at the top of the ladder. That's what we're aiming towards. That's what we're working towards. But what we're trying to help our children see is that it's a stepping, you know, we have to take these little stepping stones, these rungs of the ladder until we're able to tackle the difficult thing. So our children don't feel overwhelmed that they're being pushed into something that feels huge and supremely difficult but instead what they see is okay well I'm being asked to do something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone which is going to feel pretty tricky but you're going to equip me with some things and I'm going to try it and I'm going to see how I get on and I'm going to try it a few more times and then once I've done that I can then move up to the next one and the next one and the next one so our children always our children and teens always start at the bottom 
how many rungs up the ladder will differ with every single child and with every single difficult thing. The important thing is that the difficult thing goes at the top that they want to conquer and that we accept that we are going to at least put two or three things that are at the bottom of the rung of the ladder to start with and then as we go along we can add more and more. And the first rung of the ladder has to be around the internal chatter and then the next step is about helping them identify breathing techniques which help them. You can't begin to take on any challenge until you're really clear what that conversation is that's stopping you from even starting and getting really clear about where that's showing up in your body so that you can begin to apply some breathing techniques which are helpful and then you can start saying right what might some of those challenges look like that might help me get that little bit closer and of course the challenges on those rungs of the ladder will be different depending on what it is so for example if we've got a child with a sleepover if we've got to that whole root of the issue which we talked about we really need to understand what is it that's stopping them from doing that sleepover right at the beginning what does success look like and then we can unpick from that if it's about them being away from home then you don't have to do things specifically around sleepovers but what is it that they fear about being away from home is it that if they feel particularly wobbly that you're not necessarily going to be there or is it around meal times so it might be then around how do they communicate with people other than you about how they're feeling and those become some of the lower rungs of the ladder so they have absolutely nothing to do with the sleepover directly but absolutely to do with the components as to why it's stopping our children from doing the sleepover in the first place so hopefully you're beginning to see a bit of a pattern about why that first step is so crucial because if we can really understand and our child they don't have to, you know, it's through our questioning and our paraphrasing and our checking in with them. If we've done that really thoroughly at the beginning, all of the next steps are just so much easier. So the fourth one is about building their ladder to help them work up to this big difficult thing right at the top. Number five is about helping our children create a different narrative. So we've talked about helping them identify the internal chatter which is stopping them. Now, can we create a different narrative which is more helpful, one that's a little bit more empowering, one which says, you know, goodness me, can you imagine what that might look like? And that sort of empowering narrative is going to look different for different children. So some, you know, I often talk about mantras, you know, I can do this, I'm safe, everyone's here to help me, what's the worst that could happen? Whatever that is, you can kind of help your children build a narrative that is helpful in terms of using mantras but you can also help your children create a different narrative because you can in another way where you help them to really connect with what success looks like and help them to kind of create a narrative around what success looks like and how close they are to success and how incredible it will be to be able to do that particular thing so it's working out what what is the best thing to support your child what does your child feel as a tool do mantras help them is it about imagining that end goal is it about questioning how truthful that internal chatter is so is it actually is there a different narrative about challenging some of that chatter you know how likely is that I know that's never going to happen. I'm fine. So it's whatever works for your child. What I would just caution you against is using negatives and positives. So it's saying that you're 
the internal chatter that's stopping you from doing something is a neg is something negative and what we need to do is we need to come up with something positive instead so it's really helping them just see it this narrative that you have at the moment is currently not helping you because it's stopping you from doing what you want to do and you're really bought into it because you've told me that in step one we've given you've given me something that i know you're really keen on being able to conquer and currently the chatter that you've got is preventing you from taking that big leap so let's have a look at something that might be more helpful in that in those moments that might help you feel that little bit more empowered that little bit better able to do it so it's helping our children see that different narrative if your child's really connected with this notion of ants these automatic negative thoughts then it would be around using language around what are the truths that we can come back with so whether that's around a friendship that you know what if they don't like me what if they don't want to play with me what if they say no what if i fail what if i everyone's going to laugh at me what you're then trying to do the opposing aspect of that is challenging that assumption you know will people really laugh you've got other friends you know not everyone's going to like you and that's okay so it's really it's working at it from that perspective but what's really crucial is that you need to create that narrative and help your child create a narrative that works for them and it'll be different for each one of us so before i do the last one let's just have a quick recap so we're get identifying that challenging thing helping our children admit that there's an issue in the first place but really drilling down to an issue that they value the second is about into identifying the internal chatter which is currently stopping them from trying and giving that a name and helping them see that that is separate to them whether we use ants whether we talk about the internal chatter the ogre whether we talk about the inner monkey but it's this notion that's trying to preserve them but it's a false alarm it's that smoke alarm that has gone off because we've burnt our toast and so that leads into the the third one which is helping them identify how this chatter affects their body whereabouts in their body do they feel it and then can we then put in place some specific breathing strategies that are the bit that switch off that smoke alarm that help calm the body that help bring that body back to feeling in that restorative state going away from fight or flight to rest and restore so that we can then tackle those issues and then the fourth one is building our children's ladder so that they can help it helps them work up to that big difficult thing building the breathing techniques and that chatter as the bottom rungs and then one or two challenges that then go above it from that root issue that we've really connected with in that first strategy and then helping our children create a different narrative a narrative that is more helpful a narrative that is more empowering a narrative that makes them feel that little bit braver to try that small little step up the rung of the ladder and then our final one is helping our children come up with some action what's really what i what i've sort of discovered more and more sort of the more i've worked with families is that physical action movement doing is the really crucial part to breaking that paralyzing connection between the internal thoughts and the way that our body feels so it's helping our children identify a specific action something that they are going to do that helps break that connection that keeps them paralyzed so whether it's getting up and wandering around whether it's having a quick jump around whether it's putting on a particular piece of music whether it's jumping on a trampoline whatever it is we want to help our children find some 
physical action that they can take that will help break that paralysis that they then get caught up in, which stops them from doing that physical thing. And that will be different in different situations. And we need to equip our children in some situations where that paralysis comes and they're at home and they've got a free reign of multiple options. What happens if it's in a classroom context? What happens if it's in a playground context? What happens if it's in the middle of an exam? What happens if it's in the middle of a situation, a different situation? We want to help equip our children for multiple situations with multiple tools. So when you, there may be some physical action that works brilliantly in one context, don't kind of rest on your laurels, really probe with your child, really explore. Okay, so if this happens, if you're trying to combat it in this situation, great, we can use this physical action, but what happens in this situation where your options are much more restricted? What could be the case? And it may be as simple as just simply clapping or walking or taking a jump or something that just physically breaks that paralysis connection. I hope that those were particularly useful strategies because, you know, this is this is the way that I've structured the podcast this week is very much about you being able to take these strategies in the order and in the sequence that I've actually gone through them rather than quite often with the strategies, I'll just give them to you and it doesn't matter, you just choose one. This is much more about don't start number two until you've done number one. Don't start number four until you've done number three. So my give this week is going to be these six strategies, but they're going to be sequenced in number and you need to approach it in that specific order because that will be the most useful way to help your children and really focus in on that first one. The the investment in time in that first strategy is going to be really helpful. If having listened to this, you want some more help, then if you go to my website, drmaryhan.com, you will see that we've now got a new 60 Minutes with Dr. Mary Han, which is all of the recordings of all of the previous talks that I've given, as well as the, the sort of the latest talk that you can watch live. And for the I Can Do Difficult Things, we have a specific workshop for parents, but we also have a workshop for children. So it's recorded with me, actually running through the workshop with your children along with their workbook and telling them to go off and do certain tasks come back and do that so you are very welcome to go in there and purchase those or you are very welcome to simply download the resource from the podcast episode as we do generally so you need to head over for the free resource to my resource library drmaryhan.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download the resource All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access to all the free resources, not only from this podcast episode, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. One Million Moments all about? We know prevention is better than cure. Children who feel connected, heard and understood are less likely to struggle with their mental health. One Million Moments is all about seizing opportunities to connect with children moment by moment, day by day. 
head over to our website, onemillionmoments.org. That's O-N-E millionmoments.org. And join the initiative, join the campaign and help us positively impact one million lives.